Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Denzel Washington gave that commencement address. By the way, there's some assembly required at this church. You gotta move your own table if you wanna preach here. Um, the, the Denzel Washington did that, uh, it's an eight minute video, you can Google it, um, and he did this, uh, uh, that was a um, commencement address to students. And he gave his testimony. He doesn't hide God in his life, he shares God in his life. He puts God first. Okay, sermon's done, you can all go home and have your, the rest of your Sunday, because that is the main point of the verses and the scripture that we will be reading today. Put God first. It's interesting, Wes said, you know, I never told, I don't tell a lot of people about being your janitor and uh, cleaning, the, cleaning the bathroom, so I've been outed for that. I did that for seven years and then volunteered in, in the, the infant room and the kids' rooms, and, and I always believed for my purposes, this was a place, North Bible was a place that I got fed where I got to worship the Lord and I got to serve, but I never wanted to be an elder. I always wanted to, because when you're an elder, you get to see the whole corporation and how it runs. I love the fact that when I walk in here, there's so much love in this room, so much love in the people here, and I'd rather serve by cleaning the restrooms than any other way. And so when I asked Larry Anderson, I said, Larry, I think I've, I've got this epiphany that I should be helping you clean the restrooms, so can you have the person who cleans the restrooms come next Saturday and teach me how to do it because I had never cleaned a restroom in my life. And he goes, sure, I'll be there. And I go, you'll be there. And he goes, yeah, I'm the one doing it now. So, <laughs> so your, your senior pastor at the time was also your janitor. How appropriate, right? Because that's a lot of ministry is doing a lot of cleaning up. Um, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, I have uh, the pleasure of having so many Neat friends here uh, today, and I am so grateful. So if you see an unfamiliar face, please go up and uh, say hello to them because uh, they're, they're one of my guests. I have a, a passion for getting to know my neighbors really well. I have a passion for uh, even getting to know the waiter's name. Um, remember, it's, uh, it, it's one of those things my dad always used to do is when we were at a restaurant, he would ask the waiter his name. Now. My wife, who is amazing, and I love her so much, and we have this incredible relationship, but she does have the, uh, the spiritual gift of criticism. And, and she, she will comment to me uh, that when I, would do, when I do something like that, um, yeah, I'm that guy that has a sign that says live, love, and laugh, right? And I uh, want that in my, my house, and Dr. Rick from the Progressive commercial, throws that in the trash can, and, and he says, Dr. Rick also says, you don't have to be like your parents. The waiter does not need to know your name. So, the waiter from Rosconi's is here, American Kitchen, his name's Corey, and uh, so welcome, Corey. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being here. He's with my son, Alex, and his girlfriend, Brianna, and uh, Brianna's boss is here, too, so Stephen's here, and there's my friends from the neighborhood uh, are over here in the back, and uh, Anna is uh, uh, one of my neighborhood kids who uh, I taught to ride a horse, and she's become such a great uh, rider of horses in my neighborhood, and she is just an amazing person, and she's got two wonderful sisters and uh, excellent parents, Olga and Andrew, and uh, Anna did such a great job riding uh, 
uh, a horse that she, she bonded with my most difficult horse. He was putty in her hands all of the time. And uh, she loved him and he loved her. And so she got that horse for her birthday. And uh, so she, and she takes great care of that, of that horse of, that used to be mine. That horse is now hers. So you can, you can interact with your entire neighborhood. You don't need Dr. Rick, it's okay. But if you haven't seen this commercial uh, from Progressive, uh, it's gonna, I'm going to run one of them right now, just so you have some context about Dr. Rick and what my wife is talking about. So let's go ahead and put him up there. Don't believe Dr. Rick. It's okay to emulate the good things that your parents do, especially if your parent happened to be God. And of course, Jesus did a phenomenal job of emulating what his father had taught him to do. So before we dig into the scripture, let's pray for a moment. Lord, I ask you to make this scripture come alive for the people that are here today, that you resonate the Holy Spirit and the miraculous things that you do with the Lord in our hearts. Help us to always grow closer to you. Help us to put you first and watch over us. Lord, send the Holy Spirit now uh, to preach through me uh, to the minds and the hearts and the souls of the people here today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Today we are going to uh, talk about Jesus' uh, not final miracle while he was on this earth, but one of his last miracles. In the book of John, most of the book is about the last 18 or 19 days of Jesus' life. Uh, as you know, up to this point in his ministry, uh, before he uh, uh, raises Lazarus from the dead, uh, Jesus had gone through and changed water to wine. He probably did miracles before that because his mother said to the waiters at that time, uh, listen to whatever he tells you because she obviously knew that he could do those types of miracles. He did miracle upon miracle upon miracle, but it wasn't until the last few weeks of his, his uh, life uh, on, this, on this earth that he started revealing who he was. And that's really when the religious leaders of the time got very, very angry with Jesus. Uh, they said in John 10, we're not angry with him because of the miracles that he does. We're angry with him because of the blasphemy. He keeps suggesting and saying that he is one with the Lord, that he is the Son of God. So in chapter 10 of uh, John, uh, Jesus is, this is where we start our scene, if you will. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's preaching. He talks about who he is, what right relationship he has with the Father who he emulates. And, uh, and, and then they decide to surround him and his disciples and stone Jesus to death. And then he disappeared, as the Bible says. He disappeared. All right, another miracle right there. It was the second time he was surrounded by people who were going to kill him, and his time had not come, and he disappeared. So he went eventually to the, the solemn safety of the other side of the Jordan River where people weren't trying to kill him, and he and his disciples were over on the other side of the Jordan River when news came that Lazarus was sick. Now, last time I preached here was uh, January of 2019 was the last time I was... Uh, your pastor, and Larry had assigned me the story of Mary and Martha. And of course, Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus. 
And just like you have, just like you have uh, work friends, you also have social friends or friends who are your close buddies. Arguably, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were Jesus' best buddies. He hanged at, hung out at their house, as we know. He dined with them. He probably revealed to them his soul and heart for who he is uh, long before the rest of the general public had gotten the word that the Son of God had come to life. And so Lazarus was sick, and, and, and the word came for Jesus to come. And of course, Mary and Martha knew that Jesus does miracles, and he could keep Lazarus from dying, but Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't go to be with his friend. And instead, he lets him die, and he tells the disciples, Lazarus is sick, and he will go to sleep. And they go, well, if he'll go to sleep, why do you need to go? We don't want to go to back to, to Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. If we go back to Bethany, um, two miles from Jerusalem, those guys who are going to stone us may actually get their wish and kill us. And Jesus said, no, we will go back. And they go, well, wait a minute. If he's asleep, we don't need to go back. And he goes, no, he's not asleep. He's dead. But he died for a reason. And it's for me to be able to show the glory of God and to raise him back from the dead. So we pick this up uh, in chapter 17 of John 11. Um, the, clearly, the, everybody that preaches here is much taller than me because this table is about up to my shoulders. But on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now that's significant because under the Jewish tradition at the time, there was, there was a thought that the spirit when you died uh, hung around and tried to re-enter the body. And it, and it stu and stuck around for three days before the spirit then ascended to wherever the, the Jewish people at the time believed it ascended to God, we, we, uh, is where, where it ascended to, right? And so he wanted to make sure that nobody confused what was about to happen uh, and, and think that it was just a three-day period and that spirit just re-entered the body. He wanted to make sure uh, Lazarus was good and dead, and he was good and dead at the time. Now, he might have been dead more than four days. We just know he had been in the tomb in this scripture, scripture for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from J Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard uh, that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I ask you, do you believe this? Think about this. Jesus is saying, Jesus had done thousands of miracles in front of thousands, of, I mean, he had many miracles in front of thousands of people. There were witnesses to everything Jesus did, including his death and his resurrection. And these witnesses were later asked to recant their testimony and chose not to do it. Most of them suffered horrific deaths rather than saying Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So before he had even gone to the cross, he's asking Martha, do you believe this? Because he's saying, if you believe in him, 
you will have eternal life. It's that simple. So do you believe is the question I have for you. And Martha responded, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and said, the teacher is here, she said, and, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not entered the village, but was still in the place where he had met Martha. When the Jews who had been with uh, Mary in the house uh, comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached that place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. So, so she's given Jesus the same grief. Why didn't you get here in time? 911, what is your emergency? Okay, I'll be there in four days instead of coming right away. So that wasn't the reaction that they wanted, but they didn't realize that Jesus had a plan. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Some, some versions say he was actually angry, uh, or and other versions say he was really frustrated. Um, Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Shortest verses in, in the entire Bible, Jesus wept. Here's where it appears. Um, and we don't know why Jesus wept. Uh, the, 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 the Bible seems to suggest he was sad because uh, of his uh, friend being dead. But it could be that he was pondering the fact that he was going to the cross next. Uh, and, and he was going through a horrific death um, before rising and going with the Father. It could be that he was just crying because the hearts of the people who had seen so much evidence were still doubting that he was the Son of God. So we don't know why he wept, but we do know he, he, he wept. And he showed emotion, and he showed emotion because he loves you. So even when you doubt him, he loves you. Even when you don't believe, he loves you. He wants a relationship with you, and he's sad when he does not have that relationship. Uh, but some said to them, some said, uh, could he have not? Oh, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And then, but some were doubters in the audience. Could, could not he have, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? Kind of like Jesus screwed this one up. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, and he said, take away the stone. So there's a law of thermodynamics, right? There's three laws of thermodynamics. There's now even a pre-law of thermodynamics, and there's a post-law of thermodynamics. But the second law of thermodynamics says that Left to their own devices, everything in the universe will spin into chaos and decay. So that's what happens to the body when you die. It, it, it grows into chaos, and then it decays, right? And the only thing that keeps that from happening is a new energy source. So in the earth, it happens through the regeneration of the earth and plants and things of that nature. Through the refrigerator, it keeps your food. A new energy source comes in, keeps your food cool enough that it doesn't decay and go bad right away. Well, Jesus is the energy source in this situation. So enter Jesus. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so, uh, so he said, take away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus oftentimes will thank God before a miracle happens? 
Have you ever done that? If, you, if you're praying for a miracle right now, start by thanking God that it will happen. Praise God. Expect it to happen. And then he, in his infinite wisdom and his sovereignty, will either make it happen or will make something else glorious happen out of the, of the situation or the chaos, right? But start by thanking God. That's what Jesus did. Um, and so he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said, this, uh, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The power comes from God. So when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Wait, this is where Wes is supposed to hobble onto the stage in uh, well, cl death cloths all over himself. I thought about setting that one up, but I figured it'd be too much work for him. Um, but think about this. Lazarus, in the Jewish tradition, his legs would have been bound, his arms would have been bound, and he would have been mummified. There would have been probably 150 pounds of cloth that was completely wrapped from head to toe. So he actually literally invented a dance probably coming out of that tomb called the Lazarus, right? Because he probably had to hop out of the tomb in order to uh, be seen, right? And, and of course... Um, of course, Mary and Martha were concerned because he would stink and smell up the place and all that kind of stuff, but Jesus knew better. And so when he, when, uh, he, he said that, Lazarus came, uh, when, he when he said this, uh, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus came out, and Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, Jesus could have done that miracle too, but he chose not to. He wanted people to see that this person was truly dead, and he had risen him from the dead. He had made him new. But he still had a role for every witness that was there, and that was to unwrap the, the yards and yards and yards of grave clothes off of Lazarus. So, what do we learn from this, and how do we apply this to our lives? Well, the number one thing is we know that if you believe, you will live forever, even though you shall die. Your body, the second law of, of thermodynamics, will decay at some point and you will die. And then the question is, do you believe and do you get to live everlasting life with Jesus? So if you haven't accepted Jesus in your life yet, make it today. Make it today so that you can have that amazing power of everlasting life. Jesus said, you put that up on the screen, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He is the resurrection and the life. So if you believe in him, now it's time to live, love, and laugh. Even if Dr. Rick doesn't like that sign. And here's what life looks like with Christ. First of all, L. Life means let it go. Release yourself from the grave clothes of life. Let God forgive you and you forgive others. So there's people in your life that have wronged you, and you can harbor that wrong in your heart. And it's true, and it's real, and it's raw. But if you can let it go and give it to God, it releases you, it frees you to have a better 
happier, more productive life. So release the junk in your life that holds you back from that perfect relationship with God. Second, invest in relationships. Invest in your family, your friends, and even your enemies. Invest in relationships. So if you have any challenges in family relationships, um, in my first service, a gentleman came up to me and talked about his mother-in-law. It's hard to believe you have a challenge with your mother-in-law. But he has a challenge with his mother-in-law, and I just offered to him the suggestion to pray for her every day. Let the Holy Spirit make the change. You don't have to make the change. You're never responsible for making the change. You're always responsible for loving the person, even if they're critical or unlovable to you. So you love them. Doesn't mean you have to be exposed to them all the time. Doesn't mean you have to take their garbage all the time. It doesn't ha mean you have to change the way you are in Christ, but you do want to empower uh, their change by asking the Holy Spirit to come into your lives, and even your enemies. So some of you may know that I was a state senator uh, years ago. And I, in, in the state senate, I was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. So in my late 20s, early 30s, um, back in the 1990s, I was the uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And in that, in that capacity, I made uh, criminal justice policy uh, and legal policy for the state of Arizona. The Attorney General at the time uh, and I disagreed a lot on policy. Uh, he and I uh, saw things very differently uh, in how uh, the, the legislature uh, should operate uh, from a policy perspective. And so he was my adversary. He was my opponent. And in fact, he was the guy that was fundamentally responsible for destroying my political career uh, at age 34. And I wouldn't probably be standing up here today if it weren't for him. Um, so I, I give him praise and, and glory for that. But I prayed for him. I don't know if he prayed for me. And then one day, I'm at a Bible study, and he's also invited to that Bible study. So remember, we're adversaries, so we're sitting at the opposite sides of the tables from each other while the word is being presented and, and the Lord is being centered on us. And eventually, uh, over time, we got closer and closer and closer to each other week after week, and eventually we became very good friends. Now, politically, we were very different, but we had one thing in common. We put God first. And he is a friend of mine until the day he died, which was yesterday. And that person's Grant Woods. And so my friend Grant passed away yesterday. Um, it's, it's in the news now. And he, he passed away unexpectedly at a, at a, at a younger than normal age. And I, my heart breaks for his family. My heart breaks for um, all of those around him. Uh, but I have the faith that he knew the everlasting love of God and that he is with him right now and that he is having a miraculous experience, even if all of us are suffering uh, from his loss. And I have the distinct joy of knowing that my adversary was my friend until the day he died. In fact, he even wrote a, I had a, 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 an occasion where I needed somebody to write a uh, letter of recommendation, and he wrote the letter of recommendation. I thought it was really neat that somebody who disagreed with me so much on so many things could write a glowing recommendation about the kind of person that I was. And so I love him and I miss him. And I'm sorry that he passed, but it shows you that it's so important to even build relationships with those that stand in your way or oppose your positions or disagree with you. 
Third, find God's miracles in everything you do. It's miracles are God's natural order. It's not it's not a mir- it's a miracle for us because we don't obviously have enough faith to realize at times how miraculous God is in everything he does. You go to the grocery store and and my goodness, you have a festival of incredibly wonderful food that is perfectly displayed for you and the miracles it took over time the inventions, the logistics, the, all of that stuff that had to come together in order for those peaches and apples to arrive just at the perfect time so that you can have the, the pleasure of picking them right there. You don't have to grow your own apple tree. Those are miracles, right? There are miracles that happen every single day in your life, and you may not know it. The fact that you're in this room today, this is the only time in your history that the exact same people will be in this room today. And the millions of miracles that had to happen for you to even be here. Your great-great-great-great-grandparents had to be born. They had to get married. Their parents had to get married. You had to be born. You had to somehow end up in Scottsdale, Arizona. You had to somehow end up here today to hear the word. But you were chosen to do that. And that's a miracle too. So So when you meet somebody for the first time, Expect a miracle. Ask God, okay, Lord, why am I meeting this person? And what is part of your plan that you have for me with this person? How do I bring them closer to Christ? How do I bring them in relationship to you? How do I pray for them? How do I care for them? So it's not just healing the sick. It's not just raising people from the dead. But God is doing miracles in your life on a daily basis. And I'm standing here before you as, as somebody that God has taken from one role in life to a completely different life, and it is miraculous how he does that. Finally, exclaim the good news. Do not hide God. Tell everyone your story with Christ. So you all have a story. You all have a story of how you became a Christian, how Christ has affected you. You do not have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to uh, know the Bible cover to cover to witness to people. Just know your own story and share it with others. But do not hide it. Now, I am not a fan of the Houston Astros. Um, I am a, I was a, I'm a Chicago White Sox fan. And I, went, I actually went to uh, the Chicago White Sox only winning game. I also saw two losing games. Um, in the playoffs. But the Houston Astros are the American League champions. And uh, they won the, the championship a couple of days ago. And Dusty Baker, who's their manager, uh, said when he was getting the trophy, I just want to thank God for this moment. And he was asked uh, in an interview right after that, Dusty, how does it feel to be the American League champion? This is your second appearance in the World Series. How does it feel? And he said, it feels as good as when I'm in church. So Dusty Baker could have said, it feels great, I love these guys. He said all of that too. But he did not hide his relationship with God. He witnessed in just those few words who he was with God and in relationship with God. So I have friends that are Christians and non-Christians alike, and I never hesitate to share with them my relationship with Jesus, and never hesitate to show them love even when we disagree, even, even if I can't move them. The Holy Spirit is the closer on these things. You're not the closer. So you don't have to feel like you have to be the closer. Just pray for that person, and the Spirit of the Lord will make the changes in the hearts of those 
people. So, in the words of the great theologian Denzel Washington, you need to be directed, you need to be protected, you need to be corrected, and you need to stick with God because he will always stick with you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for caring about us and sticking with us even when we don't always stick with you. Lord, we ask that you uh, show us your way, that you give us everlasting life, and that you teach us how to be livers of a life inspired by you. Thank you for justifying us and then sanctifying us. We pray that it happens here and forevermore in our entire community and this entire world. We pray for your church and its mission and its ministry. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.